Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What do you think? Dude, I love this song. I like this playlist I put together. Let me let you listen to something else. Actually, let's not listen to that. All right. Happy Lollapalooza weekend, everybody, or week, whatever it is. Do you, can we just get through Lollapalooza? Can we just like pretend? I don't know. Is he, can we pretend it doesn't exist? We just. <laughs> well, we Whose can't. Idea? We, Whose idea was Lollapalooza in the middle of a pandemic? Sorry, dude. Yeah, we can try. We can try. Uh, your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, July 29th is just moments away. But before we do this, let's thank our sponsors SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, their sponsors, the Chicago Teachers Union, the Chicago Federation of Labor, and of course, the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke. It's true. It's legal in the state. So we can talk about that in columns now. Uh, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. ChicagoReader.com. Uh, and if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Go there and you can become a binhead. It is Thursday, July 29th, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, two long-awaited returns, Jin Walling and personal pack CEO and dear friend of The Ben Jarofsky Show, TC, Terry Cosgrove. Now your host, not a long-awaited return. He was here yesterday. <laughs> Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Troll Nation Thursday, and here's why. On my way to a video of Pastor Greg Locke's sermon against masks. It's been blowing up on social media. CNN and USA Today covered it. Obviously, Pastor Locke can teach the Ben Jarofsky show a thing or two about using social media. Since we're not blowing up on any social media. Although, I must say, I must interrupt this to say, Dennis saw a picture of me on Facebook. Yeah, looking good, buddy. La- looking good. <laughs> from last night's reader fundraiser at the City Winery. And I'm trying some things on TikTok. It's just not working. You're not that appealing on TikTok. <laughs> I got a ways to go before I'm TikTok appeal. But I want to thank everybody at the City Winery. It was a great time. I guess I don't know what picture you saw of me, D, on Facebook, but... That's just me, the master of social media. Well, I saw you, not a master of social distancing. I saw you there, no mask. I'm like, oh, way to go, Ben. <laughs> well, everybody was. Well, you'd be happy to know, D, I, uh, I'm like not shaking hands anymore. It's the new me. So I'm just like doing elbow bumps. So that is good. And everybody told me they had the shot. So anyway, where was I? Oh, yes. Speaking of masks, Pastor Locke. All right. <laughs> Pastor Greg Locke. I'm sure you saw it. 
If I saw it, everyone saw it, because as everyone knows, as I just said, I'm the last to know about anything on social media. But in case you haven't, Pastor Greg Locke is a Republican pastor who runs a congregation in Tennessee, and he thinks the pandemic is a hoax. He sees no reason to do any social distancing or wear masks. He really hates masks, and he doesn't think we need a vaccine. Why should you get a vaccine, as logic goes, if COVID does not really exist? On Sunday, he gave a sermon against it, went on this rant against masks, said that anyone who shows up to his church wearing a mask would be asked to leave. He said, and I quote, <clears throat> and I am not going to do this with my uh, pastor lock imitation. Thank God. Because <laughs> I, <laughs> D, in the back of my mind, I do have a pastor lock imitation. I don't know if you saw this, D, but this guy is a real... Um, fire and brimstone preacher he goes don't believe the delta variance nonsense stop it he had this like good way of going like he would say something they go stop it i was kind of jealous actually if you start showing up with them masks i will ask you to leave i will ask you to leave and then the drum guy in the church band hit a drum roll like it was the tonight show way back when in the 90s then what else did he say he says quote I'm not playing these Democratic games up in this church. I ain't playing these stupid games. The crowd's going nuts. I'm offended on a couple levels. Number one, if that isn't cancel culture, I don't know what it is. Mag is always crying about how their culture's getting canceled, and then they want to turn right around and cancel everybody else's culture. If I can't cancel your culture, you can't cancel my culture. Just saying. Not very open-minded, to say the least. And it's also not very tolerant. I mean, isn't a church supposed to be open to everyone, sinners included? Even if you assume that wearing masks makes you a sinner, shouldn't you be allowed entrance? And of course, against common sense, you know, you're sort of asking for the virus to spread if you condemn people to do anything, absolutely anything to keep it from spreading, including getting the shot. But then I started to wonder... Does Pastor Locke really believe this, or is he like one of those Fox TV anchors and personalities who denounces the shot while getting the shot, just to be sure, just to be on the safe side? Let's not talk about it. Does he really believe the pandemic's a hoax and that masks are evil and it's all some giant mind game for social control engineered by Democrats? Or is he just trolling? I mean, MAGA says so much stupid stuff. It's hard to know what they really believe and whether what they're saying is just some way of trying to get under a liberal skin. In this case, Pastor Locke has been tweeting out that CNN invited him to appear in the Chris Cuomo show. And then he somehow or other got disinvited. So now he's trashing, trash talking Chris Cuomo for being scared. It's like a wrestling match. That's what it's like. It's a trash talking wrestling match you ever know what's real and what's not real what people believe or what they just say it's like the other day indeed don't get mad at me about to bring up sports we talked about this on the podcast on basketball skip bayless who's a sports writer was tweeting out about Giannis's great block shot one of the greatest block shots in the history of basketball it happened in game five of the playoffs i know a lot of our listeners are out there political junkies and not sports fans so i have no idea what i'm talking about just trust me when i tell you it was an amazing block shot Giannis was going one way he turned on a dime and uh in an instant jumped into the air full extension a block demand shot incredible feat and Skip Bayless is like, ah, that's no big deal. He tweets this out. 
that wasn't a great block shot. And I'm like, you can't really believe that, Skip Bayless. I mean, there's no way in the world you could look at that block shot and say it wasn't a great block shot. You must be like Pastor Locke. You're just trolling people, trying to get hits. And I'm not comparing Skip Bayless to Pastor Locke, though now that I think about it, I sort of am. In fact, now that I think about it, you could just take sort of out of that sentence. What I'm saying is that they're all part of the same carnival. America used to make cars in Detroit, and now we make tweets. We become a nation of trollers, peddling BS for hits. No BS on this show, though. We got Jen Walling from the Illinois Environmental Council. I'm looking at her right now. She's all fired up, ready to talk. When she's done talking, telling us about the environment situation here in the state of Illinois and the legislation before our General Assembly and before our governor. We're going to bring the man, the myth, the legend, Terry T.C. Cosgrove. <laughs> and he's all fired up for personal packs. It's been a while since T.C.'s been on the show. He's going to be talking about the uh, really, really is a war against choice in this country, ladies and gentlemen. Republicans right now have the upper hand. They're feeling all cocky and everything. So he's going to do a, uh, a rundown on that situation. But uh, let's talk environment first. Jen, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. It's been too long since you've been last on the show. I think the last time you were on the show, we were back in the studio uh, mm-hmm. before the pandemic. I believe, I before I go further, you must believe the pandemic is real, correct? Yeah, You're not definitely. like Pastor Locke. Okay. Definitely. And I think, you know, one of the things that's been super interesting, I know we're going to get into this, is how support for dealing with the climate crisis has increased during the pandemic. People are more... Um, any polling, people think it's more urgent. And I think it's because we understood we failed at this crisis. And if we have a bigger one coming up, oh my gosh, what are we, like, how are we going to handle it? So um, it's just, it's made my work more urgent than ever before. Wait, go uh, break that down a little bit. Yeah. I, mean, I was going to ask you about some of the issues uh, specifically in Illinois, but did you, did I hear you correctly that you said the pandemic has increased people's awareness uh, across the board? Uh, in climate change and and polling has consistently shown that people are more worried and want more action on climate change than they did before the pandemic um you know we we did a poll on climate change that uh we did maybe june of 2020 for example and this is illinois based um but we are 20 points higher than we were just three years before on support for a clean energy package um just huge things that were in the the 80 percentile but and that's just us that's one anecdote but i'm seeing it all over the place i think people just they're seeing this crisis they're seeing how our government just flopped um especially at first with the trump administration and understanding like oh you know, we're going to have, how are we going to work together to solve a crisis in the future? And what does that leadership look like? It doesn't look like our former president. Jen, have we reached like a tipping point? In other words, is it to the point where the driving force, politically speaking, in this country in terms of the environment is for making the changes that we need to protect ourselves? I, I think that we have reached a point where at least in our state and maybe at the federal government, there is a majority of people that understand climate, understand that climate is occurring because of man-made causes. But I think what we are not at the tipping point of is the action to move forward. I mean, we are nervous about the cost and the cost right now, but instead we're just taking money from our futures piggy bank to 
um, you know, to pay. So it's uh, that part I, I worry about. But I've even seen, you know, I've done this, this particular job for 10 years. And just um, five years ago, we had an anti-climate change resolution passed the Illinois House. And that would not happen anymore. You know, so we are we're seeing people understand and know more and be educated about climate, the climate crisis, environmental issues, which is really exciting. But whether we have the will to do something about it is what I'm pushing towards. Wait, I forgot that. I I forgot that they're anti an anti climate change resolution. Man, that's freaky. Five years ago, I'm going to do the math. 2016, that passed Mm -hmm. the House, which was a Senate majority House. What yeah. what was what did that what did that resolution state? Uh, well, it was going after at the time Obama's clean power plan, um, and so it was just saying that that and it, and there were items in it that climate change wasn't real, all of this, and um, passed that had had just like sixty votes. Although you don't need sixty on a resolution, it was led by a former state rep from far southern Illinois who's no longer in office, um, and it was a Republican and um, Democrat vote together. Uh, they had just enough to say climate change isn't real, and the Obama Clean Power Plan is going to destroy our economy. Well, let me just take a moment uh, before we get into the issues to talk about uh, the maestro Michael Madigan. That is a Michael Madigan. People go like people who think Michael Madigan is an ideologue. Jen, this is just me talking here. I just have to go on this riff. Do not understand how the man played the game. So he probably looked at that resolution and figured this would help his Democratic caucus members uh, in southern Illinois win reelection. So I'm going to bring it to a vote. And if any Republican votes against it, I will use that against them. This is how cynical this guy was, how he played the game. And so mm-hmm. instead of bottling it up and keeping it uh, from being adopted, which I, I mean, from an environmental standpoint, I think would be the responsible thing to do, or you can make that argument. He said, no, let's play yeah. a little political games here. You see, he was the maestro of this stuff, Jen, but he, what ultimately, really, what, what did we gain from it? Do you follow what I'm saying? Absolutely. And there was so much focus on protecting these Democrats that aren't really Democrats um, from central and southern Illinois. A lot of them are gone now. There's still a couple that I think don't vote the right way on real Democratic issues. Um, And there's so much focus on protecting them, making sure that they got a win. And that win was usually anti-environment, anti-LGBT, anti-choice. And that was the focus for years. And I now I actually... You know, I think it's great that we don't have folks that are going to support those issues elected. Um, And I, you know, the more and more we move away from that, the better it is. So I want to see more of that. I know in in the remap, uh, I'm really concerned because particularly in the Senate, there's an effort to take back a far southern Illinois district. And I worry that when that happens, that means that we're going to try to do something for that person so they they can get reelected. And usually that thing is let's support coal. Um, and, And then the whole rest of the caucus needs to come along. Um, and that, you know, that that's the game. And I don't want to see that that game played out. We have enough votes to get the things done that we need to do for Illinois, for people. Let's go at it. Let's stop this fight between moderates and progressives and, and go the right way. 
Uh, I have to say this. Uh, when you say support cold, I think the last time we were on the show, I got a, a phone call or a text from one of our listeners uh, who says uh, they were listening to our conversation. They were critical of you and me. And they were saying that uh, people like us uh, from uh, Chicago area don't appreciate the issue of jobs mm-hmm. uh, and how um, we're insensitive uh, to the economy in southern Illinois and other places like that that do depend on coal. I don't think you've been back on the show since then. Uh, not because of that. Just I don't just for whatever reason. You've been back. It's not like I said, I'm not bringing it back. <laughs> uh, but you know what? Uh, one year or so later, respond to that. Uh, the whole notion of being that somehow or other environments, environmentalists are dangerous to the livelihood of uh, people who live in coal country. Oh my gosh. I have so much to say there. I mean, first, I, I mean, I didn't, I lived in the Champaign area for nearly seven years. I haven't been in the Chicago area my whole life. And I'll just, you know, I am a huge nerdy fan of Southern and Central Illinois. I just took a trip to Alton, Illinois last week just to get peaches. I took a ferry <laughs> over to the peninsula in Calhoun County to go to three different places and buy their amazing peaches. Um, I love camping in Shawnee. Uh, I t- went out by myself to Galena during some of the pandemic last year just to walk around. We have some amazing sites um, in the state, some amazing places to visit great and welcoming people all over the state. And that's just throwing that out there. Um, But I think when it comes to these jobs right now, for example, at the end of 2019, I'm not sure that a whole lot of people are aware, but a quarter of Illinois coal capacity closed at the end of 2019. And these are just coal plants that closed. And these were um, Southern Illinois, which, which was Dynagena Vistra owned by a Texas company. And when these plants closed, the company's like, okay, your job's gone, 30 days, 60 days. Some people were losing their jobs at Christmas. And now a lot of these plants are small, 30, 40 workers, but those are really good jobs. That had nothing to do with environmentalists as much as it had to do with natural gas outcompeting coal. Um, and when we're looking at the Clean Energy Jobs Act and en- any energy package, an important portion to us is make sure that there is transition in those communities. And I think it's disingenuous to say that a coal worker could just transition over to be a solar worker or a wind worker and make as much money, have the same job. I, I don't I don't think that's a real argument we can use because you got somebody who's been working there 30 years, has a pension, um, entering into a new profession. That's just not how employment works. And so I, I think that's a problem. But our bill and what we want to put forward does support those communities. Um, Southern Central Illinois are suffering economically and not just from coal closure. There are a lot of manufacturing that's leaving. A lot of places don't have broadband. I mean, when I went out to Calhoun County, um, I downloaded the maps beforehand because I knew my phone internet wasn't going to work. How are those small businesses supposed to sell peaches if you have to send a credit card through a machine three times? Um, so there are a ton of issues facing Central and Southern Illinois that government can help. Uh, make sure that we have economic growth Um, and it's not keeping these dirty coal plants that are providing uh, problems to the community and I do think the way we look at our bill there's a ton for job growth in central southern Illinois there's a ton for racial equity and diversity and hiring all places that we purposely disinvested in I mean we purposely disinvested in rural America um, in, in Illinois and uh, it's it's a huge problem that I think that we need to fix in a little way. And I, I think that we're doing more to care about this than um, anybody else is. 
Well, that's uh, let me uh, since you raised uh, clean energy bill. Uh, I'm going to jump over the topic of Lake Michigan for a moment, which I really wanted to talk about uh, and get to. By the way, just before I get to the clean energy bill, did, did I hear you correctly? You went to Alton to get peaches? Yeah, I was doing a trip. To, it, it was for I was going to a funeral in Springfield and I had a day and I was like, the peaches there are great. Calhoun County peaches. Um, and some of them filter up to Chicago Farmers Market. But they there's a, a peninsula in Illinois and you have to take a ferry. Um, there's there's two ferries that go over operated by IDOT um, and they grow amazing peaches in Calhoun County, Illinois, just outside of Alton. Um, it was a lovely, lovely trip. And I have some really great peaches. I need to can now. Well, I just want to say this. The producer of this show, uh, uh, Young Dennis, is from Alton, and he has never once told me about a peach. I'm a little upset with him right now. <laughs> All he talks about is how they love, oh, boy, Jimmy Buffett down in Alton, but I never once heard about a peach in Alton. Yeah, that ferry's awesome, too. Uh, that's cool in the Calhoun County. Yeah, the you say it's – I think there are three ferries in the whole state, two of them going over to Calhoun County, and – like that is a job, right? To just sit on the ferry all day and drive back and forth. It was so great. All right. Well, you know, I'm mildly chiding Dennis for not telling me about the peaches and all. Now I'm going to have to really go to all to get those peaches. Um, all right. Let's talk about clean energy uh, and move away from peaches and Alton uh, for a moment. Uh, clean energy bill is one of those uh, topics, Jen, that pops up in the news all the time. And uh, I have to, always had the feeling that most people aren't paying attention or can't follow the details. Uh, it's not given the same uh, breathless coverage, let's say, that a, a city council meeting will have over, I don't know, a police oversight board or what have you, uh, which we talk about a lot in great uh, detail. Give us sort of the general outline of what the uh, clean energy bill would do and uh, why it cannot pass. What are the obstacles to its passage? Go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, you want to bring up Speaker Madigan in this, and I think I have to start there. Um, during the 40 years that Speaker Madigan was Speaker, um, we saw just a focus on energy that was really politically focused, long-term contracts for coal plants, a lot of corruption that has led to carbon emissions, that has led to pollution throughout the state. And you know, we're talking now, um, of course, Exelon and ComEd and the corruption that has undergone there. I've been in this particular job for 10 years and working on Illinois government for more than that. And it's never been about, for especially for ComEd, how um, it's never been like, do we raise rates or what do we do here? It's how high has been the discussion. And that's what it's been for 10 years. Um, and it's kind of unfortunate in that the speaker has pushed that everything needs to be done as a package. Um, and that has always been the way it's been done. Um, you need to have renewable energy and with coal, with ComEd, with utilities, everything goes together. Um, much like with voting rights, that's what you're doing with an energy package. And so we have been pushing for an energy package that would do 100% clean energy, make a carbon-free power sector. It really has to be a bill about climate. So making sure that we're closing coal and natural gas plants, electrifying the transportation sector, because that does meet up with the utilities in some way, but we have to do a lot more in transportation. And then a focus on jobs, workforce development, et cetera. 
So we've been working on the Clean Energy Jobs Act for two and a half years, and now we're really reaching an urgent point where something has to be done this summer. Uh, There's an issue with some of the timing with the previous energy bill where there is a solar cliff that is really, really hitting August 30th, and a lot of solar companies are going to have to lay people off to not do projects. Uh, The solar industry is at a standstill because of this, and that's happening August 30th. But also the nuclear plants are threatening to close. And we don't think that nuclear energy is clean energy at the Illinois Environmental Council. We don't. Um, there's a lot of waste in uh, mining it. There's waste in, in uh, using it. But we do think that for now, those nuclear plants need to stay open because they're not producing carbon emissions. And if we close them, we're going to build new natural gas and have more fracked gas. We're going to have more coal. So we need to keep those nuclear plants open as well. And so that leads into a convergence of a lot of interests. Labor wants things with the nuclear plants. They're also super excited about solar and electric vehicles and then we want a climate bill and so all of these forces are converging and we have been negotiating we felt like we had a deal um governor pritzker uh you know we had some disappointment at first but he has stepped up in a strong way and said that he will not sign a bill that doesn't uh close the coal plants that doesn't decarbonize illinois which is just such a strong statement from the governor um and we thought we had a deal may 31st but there were items that still needed to be worked out. And mostly it's about when we decarbonize the power sector. There are still forces that don't think that that's something that needs to happen. And we got to go, we got to do this. Um, So an energy package is still looming. And I think that it needs to be called before August 30th. And if it doesn't, it's going to be veto session, but it's going to be under much more tragic circumstances with the solar industry, maybe with nuclear power plants that are closed. And if we're talking about um, devastation to downstate Illinois, those coal plants that close 30 to 50 people, so nuclear power plants can have, you know, one to 3000 people working at them, depending on the size. So that is going to be devastating, especially to Byron and Dresden. Why would the nuclear power plants close if your bill is not passed? Oh, gosh. Well, so um, they, uh, the Exelon is saying that they are not receiving a rate that they would need um, competitive to the market. And, you know, there's a lot, you know, you look at that, there's a lot of sketch there because like a lot of people cannot see, you cannot see a lot of the economic numbers that Exelon is relying on to say that they need to close it. But the governor did do a study through what's called the Synapse Report, where they did get those numbers, they looked at them and they determined a number that Exelon needed. Um, Now in the energy package we're talking about, Exelon asked for $5.6 billion over 10 years. And the final number that's being discussed is around 700 million, that number could go down, uh, especially if the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission uh, causes benefits to energy sources that don't produce carbon. So that's something that that could happen. Um, But the number is more like uh, less than 700 million. So a tenth of what they asked for. And it's more in line with the report that the governor's office put together that said that these uh, plants are not receiving a rate to be competitive. So I need to know this. Yeah. Exelon asked for $5 billion rate increase over how many years? 10. 10 years. And now they're going to settle. Oh my God. What a moment. What negotiations. They're going to settle on 700 million over 10 years. Uh, well, 700 million over five, which is more oh, like five hundred million. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that the, the governor's office really has to be praised for what they did with the synapse report. And I think there's a lot where like we won 
in this part, but we still have to pass a bill because they could just take all their toys and go home. Um, and in that case, I think that more than ever, coal and natural gas just win. And they just they just win and they can keep going in the state, keep polluting, keep operating. Um, and that would be the worst possible result. So now when you say take their toys and go home, I mean, Exxon, if they don't get this rate hike, just pull out and close those plants. Is that what mm-hmm. you're saying? And then as a, as a result, the state will have to rely more on coal. Yes. Okay. Well, natural gas, especially that there's a whole bunch of natural gas plants proposed. Um and uh, we're not a big natural gas user in Illinois compared to other states, but it is super cheap. And so I think we're going to be seeing a lot of natural gas uh, if those plants close. Wow. What a what a man. That is some serious negotiation. They started five billion folks. Now there's 700 million. Don't get that 700 million raise <laughs> over five years. We're closing those plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then they're basically saying to all the environmental environmentalists choke on that natural gas and coal. You know what I'm saying? That's hardball politics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Exxon will take that deal. It's really up to labor at this point, And they're really concerned about the closure of their coal plants, but particularly about this one plant called Prairie State. Um, Prairie State is Metro East area. It's a very large coal plant. In fact, it's the seventh largest emitter of carbon emissions in the United States. Um, and it was not built that long ago, but a huge polluter in terms of carbon emissions, other emissions to the area. Um, like you said, pretty new. And we're working to try to close that plant in 2035. Um, I think there's a deal in that you know, they've put forward, oh, we'll do carbon sequestration to get to zero emissions. Um, that would be great. Well, I actually would just prefer that they close because of the other pollutants that they do. But that's a deal we're willing to consider. I don't know if it's technically feasible, especially today. Um Carbon sequestration, not not a feasible option, especially for zero percent carbon emissions. But try it out. If you close that plant, how many jobs would be gone? Oh, that is a few thousand jobs. There are a number of people who are working there or in the coal mine, Um, although the coal mine could remain open. We send a lot of coal to China. we actually and and you know there's a lot we put in in terms of polluter pays uh we're awful in terms of that we're one of the top coal producing states in the nation we're one of the only states that doesn't have a severance tax on our coal so people just take it they don't pay taxes on it i don't know it's it's uh really challenging but that prairie state coal plant was a last minute issue and there are a number of different municipalities that bought into this total snake oil salesmen to buy that facility. So places like Winnetka, Naperville, Geneva, St. Charles, Batavia are all partial owners. It's not owned. um, It's not in the normal markets, which is why it even could be built. It's the last coal plant built in Illinois. Um, It cost, uh, I think, 10 times what they told the municipalities it was going to cost. And the the people who are um, getting that energy are paying 150% of what ComEd customers are paying. So wait, you're telling me people in Winnetka are buying, are paying for coal made Uh by this plant? Yeah. Yeah. Did did the town of Winnetka invest in the coal plant itself so they're like a part owner? 
Well, so they're part of the Illinois Municipal Energy Association. And they vote, actually, this was my first job out of college, was organizing around the Prairie State Energy Campus. And I went up to Winnetka and I met with their energy manager at the time. I sure hope he's not there because I'm going to say something very negative. But he gave me one of the most mansplaining conversations I've ever had about energy for somebody. I, I studied this stuff, I have three degrees. And he gave me a conversation about how renewable energy will never work and why this coal plant needs to be bought. And I would really like to go back there and tell him I told you so because they're paying 150 percent of what everybody else around them is paying um in terms of of bills um because they bought this coal plant and uh just just such a bad idea and the information i was giving was right i could just hear him your little lady i know about coal what do you know huh Man, come on, Winneka. You got all the recycling stuff and you're buying this coal? I always like making fun of people, Winneka, but that's really dumb, Winneka. Just saying. Yeah. Uh, all right. You said severance. I know this is a, uh, like a tangent, but severance tax. I always like to know everything about everything. What is a severance? I've never heard of a severance tax. What is a severance Well, so Kentucky, for example, when you take coal out of the ground, you pay the state um, amount per uh, per ton. And it goes just the sales tax that goes to the state after you take the coal out. Um, and so we pay severance taxes to Wyoming when we're buying coal from Wyoming to burn Illinois coal plants. But anybody that gets coal out of the ground in Illinois does not have to pay taxes on it. Now, who does that benefit? Oh, the coal mine owners. Absolutely. And we give a bunch. I mean, some of them are expiring, but... Um, 2011, 2012, one of the first years I did this, we, despite that we had no other sales tax exemptions, um, we were working on, we gave like a million dollar exemption to coal mining equipment. And so, yeah. We're essentially subsidizing the coal mining industry with them oh, by yeah. not having a severance tax. Here you go. Here you go, Illinois. Just take the money you're giving to the coal miners through that subsidy by not having the tax and use it just to pay the workers who lose their jobs. I mean, I figured this stuff out. I'm just a podcast guy in an attic. You see what I'm saying, Jen? Yeah. No, and that was, that's actually, in the Clean Energy Jobs Act is a severance tax. They're not considering it for the final package. I still think they should. It's a great source of revenue. And we send, we burn um, less than 5% of the coal mined in Illinois, in Illinois. Um, There's one at the ADM plant in Decatur and then the Prairie State Energy Campus. A third of it, it goes to other states, but the rest of it goes to Europe and China. What do you mean? Oh, the rest of the coal goes to you. Mm-hmm. So Europe and China is taking uh, buying coal from Illinois without paying a tax. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, this is some of the dumbest people. But see, that was a, I'm sure if you take a look at the deep dive, not to blame everything on Michael Joseph Madigan, uh, but I had to get through the House, the Senate too, so John Cullerton as well. These are, this is the mindset. This is me talking, not Jen. I don't want to get her in trouble with all these Democrats. But this is the mindset of Illinois Democrats, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> always cutting deals. And then it's so complicated, Jen. And God bless you for spending the time to sift through it and everything. It's always so complicated. And then they do treat you like you're dumb, like, oh, boy, and Winneka. You know what I mean? Well, you don't understand how this works. Oh, come on. Let me, you know what? I'm not going to waste my time explaining it because you'll never understand. Just trust me. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So that's the game. And so I could I could see you guys getting the, some feedback from environmentalists saying, hey, Jen, we don't want anything to do with nuclear power. And you're saying, dude, you got to be realistic. I mean, at least it's like an evolution. And we got to you got to move. It's a transition. You know, it's a phase. It's you got to get to A before you get to B. You got to walk before you run. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't, you know, I want to get to the full 100%. I don't want to have to do transitions. You know, I that's I, I'd like to just move right over, but it's just realistic. These plants are already in the ground. The capital investments are already there, um, and we need to get more renewable in the door. We need to have an energy, a renewable energy industry, solar power, especially that's supported by the state instead of this up and down. Um, so, and we got to build those groups political power and maybe, maybe, you know, in my dreams about solar power, we build their political power in a way that's very supportive of small businesses, um, instead of big conglomerates, because we're going to have a lot of distributed generation rooftop solar. Um, that would be so great in terms of an alternative, but that's just my other dream. So you said August 31st, uh, it has to pass. What happens after August 31st? This is, by the way, the complexities of the Illinois legislative calendar. It's just so mind boggling. Uh, Well, and it's not that this is not actually a legislative calendar date. Um, This is there's a solar rollover money. And actually, it expired, um, I think, June 30th, except August 31st is the date at which the money goes back to the utilities. And that money is no longer available for solar. um, And it. You know, so we need to we need to act on this and we need to keep those solar jobs open. Um, and, and it's just going to be, you know, they've already suffered because of the pandemic. It's going to be mass firings, mass layoff, business closures within the solar industry. We've been uh, the Illinois Solar Energy Association's a member and they just had a call with me to just like, oh, we just want to tell you about this horror story that's happening to us. And I'm just like. Oh, this is even worse than I thought. Um, so they're wow. very concerned about where this is going. And um, I, I think we just we just need to call the bell. We need to get it moved forward. Uh, and you can and you can call a bill. Uh, this just I know I'm reading the minds of many mm-hmm. listeners. You can call a bill in the middle of August. Yeah, but you need a super majority. So you'll need uh, 36 in the Senate and 71 in the House to get it done this year. Uh, and I, I think that's doable. Um, I think there's a lot of support for it. And those nuclear plants, uh, part of the political power needed, too, because there are a number of Republicans with nuclear power in their districts that they got to vote for this or um, their constituents are out of a job. Well, we'll see if that motivates Republicans. Uh, I've (laughs) it's really difficult for me uh, to get into the mind of of a Republican these days. Jen, I'm not going to ask you to lead me uh, on that expedition into the mind of a Republican. Uh, It doesn't seem like they ever do anything that's like in the interests of their constituents. So we'll see if it's literally a job on the line. Will they uh, uh, make that move? Um, I wanted to actually talk about Lake Michigan. I had a great conversation with Mike Novak. Everybody wants to take the deep dive on Lake Michigan. Go listen to that conversation. So I guess we're just going to have to bring you back to take another deep dive with you on it. But uh, just briefly, uh, this has been on my mind uh, since I saw that New York Times article about a month ago or mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago that really pointed out the impact that we're having around Lake Michigan on the rise and the fall of, of the water, the erosion that it, call, it causes, uh, flooding, et cetera, and so forth. And then it, it's when it uh, all of a sudden it sinks, if you will, the impact that has. Uh, I do believe, Jen, that that is such a graphic illustration of climate change and the impact that uh, man has uh, on the climate that it's just as a, as a political reality, it would motivate voters uh, to vote for 
clean energy candidates. Maybe I'm deluding myself. Uh, maybe I'm being too idealistic. Usually I'm accused of being too jaded. Uh, so here I'm accusing myself of being too idealistic. What's your view on this? Well, I do think that this is highly motivating to uh, folks in the Midwest, not just in Chicago, um, but in Indiana where they've seen this and the, the wild swings in uh, where the shoreline has been, um, shoreline erosion have just been extremely challenging all over uh, the borders of Lake Michigan. So you don't have just the folks in Chicago experiencing it, you have it all over and it is super graphic. I mean, I'm on the far north side in Rogers Park. There's a whole dog beach that used to be there on Foster Avenue that doesn't exist anymore um, that I used to take my dog to. And uh, you even when I was looking at condos, I was thinking about mm, this foundation. It's it's running into Lake Michigan. I don't know if I want to buy here. So yeah. I think those are things that um, Chicagoans are seeing. It's impacting them. But I think and people are very protective of Lake. And I think it, you are right in terms of how that impacts people. But I think that we're also seeing just record flooding. I mean, last year in the pandemic, there was a tornado that touched down in Rogers Park. Um, so we're seeing a lot. And, and just thinking about everything that's happening all over the world right now, we just have been dealing with weeks of haze from the wildfires from uh, Canada and from the West Coast. Um, the world is on fire in some places. It's flooding in other places. And these are things that we've never seen in the recorded history of humanity in terms of the weather swings. And I think that is what is convincing people um and they're super concerned. And of course, this Generation Z and the younger generation, I cannot wait until they make me irrelevant in what we need to do because they are so concerned about their future. This is a top priority um, for them um, and their lives of like, should I have kids? Should, can I ever buy a house? Is climate change going to drastically alter the future of my life? Those are the questions that you 20 year olds are asking right now. So, um, yeah, I think I think you are right on in terms of the way Lake Michigan and what we're visually seeing is impacting um, people all over the Midwest. Jen, before you go, why don't you uh, give out some information about your organization? So if anybody listening wants to get involved, wants more information, et cetera, and so forth, they can get in touch with you. Sure. Uh, our website is ilenviro.org, I-L-E-N-V-I-R-O. And that's what we are on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, we got ups and minutes stuff on Twitter and different committee hearings in the city council and state of Illinois. We just released our first city council scorecard. So all the things we're doing at the state and city on environmental issues, follow us there. Uh, we definitely we're people powered. So we need a lot of voices, especially right now as we try to tackle climate change. Well, it's been way too long since you've been on the show. I'm going to bring you back to do updates on the, the clean energy bill, but also I'm really fascinated by the city council scorecard. Mm -hmm. Anything that keeps score of my beloved Chicago city council. I got to see that one. Yeah. We'll uh, forward so, it, so, yeah. so uh, excellent. Jen, thank you so much for taking the time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, and uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, the great Terry Cosgrove will be with us. So stick around, everybody. Yeah, we're waiting for the great uh, Terry Cosgrove. Uh, the guy really understands the legislative process in Illinois, but he's he's still kind of new at the whole Google Meet thing. Well, and right? we are 10 minutes late on the time we told him, so <laughs> we're both guilty here. Uh, everybody was guilty. To Very good. Barbara Streisand, too. It sounded like Kung Fu fighting. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my God, Jen Walling is awesome. That was a, a fascinating uh, interview, and all the things that I had laid out to talk to her about, folks, we didn't really get to them, but which which was okay because we went on a tangent. And uh, while I wait for Terry, I just want to take a moment to just reiterate some of the main points of that tangent and how the game, the legislative game, was played by Michael Madigan uh, while he was the speaker. And uh, you know, I've I've been having this conversation in in. Uh, in Chicago and for forever. Like, well, how does, what's Madigan's goal? Madigan, of course, the former Speaker of the House, no longer the Speaker of the House, obviously. Uh, what's Madigan's goal? What is he up to? And it would, it would act like it was such a big mystery. And I always thought it was, there was no mystery to it. His goal was holding on to his power. Uh, and one way that he held on to his power was to make sure his caucus members uh, got elected and reelected and that they stayed loyal to him. Uh, and then the other way was to raise as much money as possible uh, to finance campaigns against his Republican opposition. And so when you had environmentalists, like Jen, for instance, who had a very specific agenda that was in conflict uh, with many voters in like Southern Illinois uh, or uh, many powerful uh, industrialists, you know, manufacturers, coal manufacturers, he wasn't going to lift a finger for them. There's no ideology in there. It was really hard to promote the Democratic Party uh, and think about promoting the Democratic Party when it doesn't represent, you know, the, <laughs> the sort of the worldview of Democrats. And then I could just hear the, uh, the real practical-minded people saying, well, Ben, you don't understand. It's bigger than just your little bubble in, in Chicago and it's – it's the whole state, you know, so you have to you have to work. You, you have to sort of like uh, dilute what you want. And that's what Speaker Madigan is all about. And I'm like, wow. So here we are in year uh, 2021. And uh, we're fighting over a clean energy bill. We just learned that the coal mining industry is being subsidized effectively because subsidized effectively because they don't have a uh, tax on coal that they sell uh, to uh, out of state interests. And it's like, wow, you know. And I and I and I and I I'm guilty to a degree. I admit I was cheering on Michael Madigan over the last four years uh, because I stood with him in his fight against Rauner. And I appreciated the stand he took. I always feel compelled to say that. So I'm, I'm guilty to a certain degree of playing along with this. Uh, but, man, that was just a, a, a great lesson uh, in how the game was played uh, by Michael Madigan. And I'm wondering if uh, Chris Welch is going to play the game in a similar way. My guess is that he is not going to do that. Uh, my guess is, is that just by the fact, virtue of the fact that he doesn't plan to be the House Speaker for the next – was it D 40 years, 40 years that Michael Madigan was house speaker. Yeah. Um, my guess is that he's just going to be, you know, a little more open-minded about dealing with the various uh, wings of the democratic party uh, and push through legislation that they want. So like environmentalists, maybe, maybe get a clean energy bill. We'll see. We'll and see I, if they get a uh, Pritzker says will sign it. And I remember that. Yeah. You, you were not jumping on that Madigan bus to roll them over. <laughs> I remember that. We left without you, dude. We were headed oh to Springfield without you. <laughs> yeah, the Madigan bus. That was hilarious, folks. I had a lot of fun with the Madigan bus because that, of course, was at that moment where the Democrats had to decide, do they stay with Madigan? Do they abandon Madigan? And uh, they, a lot of the Democrats were really afraid 
to uh, oppose Madigan because if they fought him, if they if they stuck their neck out uh, and opposed him, and he won, oh my god, he'd kick him out of their office, take away their phone, put him in a hallway, you know. No, no, always Democrats be explaining, but then you don't understand how the game is played. You need Michael Madigan to, you know, like to get like a copy machine in Springfield. So like they wouldn't have access to the copy machine anymore. So they're really afraid. And then you had the uh, the more the, the Democrats were the more upscale districts whose constituents uh, had been <laughs> taught to despise Madigan. And they said, you know what? We don't think we can get reelected uh, by uh, endorsing Madigan. So we're going to uh, take the stand of being against him. We think that it's in our long-term best interest. I mean, everybody's just acting in our long-term best interest. You well, know, you know, uh, you missed the the Madigan bus, but there's a new bus uh, that's come around, and I think you might be on board on this one. I don't know, maybe. Uh, it's the bus for uh, a new uh, campaign in uh, another term for Mayor Lori Lightfoot. So, Ben, you on or off that bus? Oh, God, that bus is already boarding? Yeah, we're going to talk about this tomorrow. Uh, oh, what a week. Lori Lightfoot... Uh, suggested in a uh, interview the other day with the New York Times. By the way, it was the New York Times podcast, not the Ben Jarofsky show. Or any Chicago podcast. Or anybody. <laughs> She's sick yeah. of all of us. <laughs> well, you know, listen, I don't blame her. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to state something. This is the honest truth. You get a better deal when you're the mayor of the city of Chicago. Uh, if the further away you lead, you are from Chicago, you get a much better deal from the media. It's just no doubt. Rom figured out. Even Rom figured that one out. He's not the smartest guy in the world. I mean, even Sneed couldn't get that scoop. <laughs> no, I mean, and it's true. If De Blasio came on our show, we'd probably be nicer to him, right? I don't know. Well, would we know anything? You know, it'd be like. Ah, oh, thank you, Mayor De. Can you imagine Mayor De Blasio? No, but in my case, I'd be all over him. Man, come on, De Blasio, that Amazon. He'd be like, "Hey, wait a minute! I thought this was going to be softball stuff." No, whatever. People got really mad at me because I was so against Amazon, uh, and so uh, I still haven't forgiven De Blasio and Cuomo uh, for giving him uh, the endorsing the handout to uh, Amazon and then of course Amazon pulled out of New York uh, but yeah so Lori Lightfoot well it seems like our guest is having a little trouble sorry check out oh what a week it was tomorrow uh, Lori, oh, hey Terry yes what the hell's going on man you can't get the password <laughs> I don't have any idea what it is I don't know <laughs> that's all, all right. right Terry Cosgrove you're on the air live people are listening to you so don't swear <laughs> and okay. uh, uh, listen it's very complicated using Google Meet so I appreciate. I know, uh, yeah, uh, and particularly for people of the baby boomer persuasion, really difficult <laughs> and challenging. Uh, for right, uh, right, I understand that. You better watch out, Ben. I'm on the air live. You know, I can say anything. Yes, you Remember? can. All right, Terry Cosgrove, <laughs> uh, the executive director of Personal Pack. We've been promoting your appearance on the show for a while. Usually comes out swinging. Uh, in uh, his mission in life is to preserve the rights of women to get abortions, have access to birth control. He's been fighting this fight since the 1970s, uh, and it's been had a pretty good run of things. Terry Cosgrove has uh, in the state of Illinois, but all around Illinois, TC, it has not been 
uh, how do I say this, uh, a very safe haven for women. I'll put that, put it like that uh, on this matter. And of course, Illinois, we, we're not going to get into remapping concerns at the moment, which is one of our favorite topics. But folks, here in Illinois, you think you got it so safe? If the Republicans take control of the governorship and if they take control of either house, this is out the window, too. So I'm just saying, don't fall asleep, Democrats. Uh, all right, TC, Terry, uh, give us some updates. Uh, yeah, about- um, after, well, you're you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, the, the row is gone. I mean, for people that um, that need a little history lesson here, uh, Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973. And it said that uh, that essentially abortion would be legal in all 50 states. And prior to uh, Roe v. Wade, um, there, um, there were only three or four states that had abortion illegal in the in the two years prior to Roe. And uh, for example, uh, Cook County Hospital had an entire abortion board called the Septic Abortion Board with uh, 17 beds in it that were constantly filled with women who were being brought into the emergency room uh, with knitting needles and coat hangers hanging out of them, uh, many of whom died. And most of them uh, suffered serious infections and et cetera. And Dr. Quentin Young used to talk about doing his uh, residency there. And it, nothing prepared him more to be a doctor than, than serving on the septic abortion ward. So fast forward, um, slowly but surely, the, uh, the right-wingers have, have gained control of, uh, of the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, um, the most dramatically being uh, the election of Donald Trump in 2016. And he got to appoint uh, three anti-choice, very anti-choice judges to the Supreme Court. Uh, and uh, Roe v. Wade, there are 17 cases that are currently in front of the court. But I'm just here to say Roe v. Wade is gone. Anyone that's sitting there trying to, you know, t- uh, twiddle their thumbs or gnash their teeth and try to figure out how do we get around this, we're not getting around it. It's gone. Um, the election of Donald Trump in 2016 basically put the nail in the coffin of Roe. So we're living in a post-Roe era, and I have to say, People in Illinois don't have any idea what it's like to be in other states, particularly states that aren't on the two coasts. If you're not in California, Oregon, Washington, um, or New York, Vermont, Maine, and, you know, four or five other states on the East Coast, uh, and then I'll put Illinois in there, uh, you don't have any idea what it's like to live in a state like Texas or Alabama or Missouri or Indiana or any of these other states that are basically have already made it so difficult uh, for a woman to get an abortion uh, that it's nearly impossible and they have to go to such uh, great lengths to do it. And I might add that um, close to half of pregnancies are being terminated with the um, abortion pill, uh, which is safer than an Advil or a Tylenol. So imagine that you're a woman living in uh, Texas and you have to drive the distance of Chicago to Pittsburgh in order to get a pill that's safer than uh, than an Advil or a Tylenol uh, to terminate a pregnancy at home. So we're in for a really rough time, and it's not so. It's not just abortion. I mean, on the right wing agenda from day one has been uh, attacking uh, birth control. And there's so much information online by them about how they are defining the pill, 
most configurations of the pill, the IUD and other forms of birth control, to be abortifacients. In other words, they think there's a magic moment um, when uh, when a sperm and an egg unite and like Life begins at, at conception, even though there is no scientific agreement around that subject. Um, so they're out to um, outlaw the IUD and most configurations of the pill as murder weapons. And their strategy for doing that is um, are these laws. Um, they're called uh, at the moment of conception laws or or. Um, or constitutional amendments, amending their constitutions, amending their statutes that say that says life begins at the moment of conception, which is what Arkansas did uh, a few weeks ago. There's now a bill. There's now a law headed to the Supreme Court, one of the seventeen, that basically says that there and there's no exceptions for rape or incest. So the only exception they're putting in there is if you know two doctors will certify uh, that a woman will drop dead. Apparently, they think that. That's the really humane uh, position to take. Mm-hmm. So, so that so that's where we're at. I mean, birth control is really on the. I mean, Roe is gone. So, so now they are moving on to birth control. And I'll just end uh, this uh, before you ask me a question, Ben. Is that mm-hmm. you know I've been doing I've been at Personal Pack now for thirty two years, and um, for the last uh, 10, 20 years, whenever I brought up the specter of Roe being gone, overturned, eviscerated, whatever term you want to use for its demise, um, people would roll their eyes and they would say, well, Terry, that's not really going to happen. You know, where uh, Roe is, you know, it's, it's 50 years of law now. That's really not going to happen. And here we are today because people didn't take the challenges uh, to Roe and the channel and and state elections because all of these states are able to do all this horrible stuff, including you know the attacks on on voting rights because of people that were elected to state assemblies and to governorships. And now I fear that when I talk about this direct attack on birth control that's going on. And 22 states have a trigger law that says the day that Roe v. Wade is overturned, abortion becomes illegal in those states. And and more states are being added uh, to that list of having trigger laws. So I just I'm really fearful that that people listening to this are going to go, oh, you know, birth control is safe. We don't have to worry about it. It's not you know, it's not a problem. You know, you're being a drama queen about it or something. Well, I got news for you. It, it is coming. The attacks on birth control are already here. It's coming. And for anyone to sit there and think that it's not going to be a problem, I abuse for you. You're being very naive and, um, and you're, and you're throwing, uh, women and men under the bus. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's, uh, let's go back and unpack what you said. Roe is gone. Sure. You do not mean literally that a ruling was uh, enacted by the Supreme Court that said Roe v. Wade is unconstitutional and therefore it is gone. Well, you mean that it's eroded. Explain what you mean by it. Well, no, no. I mean, it's gone. Because here, here's, here's the, 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 it has been held that, um, that, a pre that a pregnancy that's pre viability, which is generally at 23 or 24 weeks, um, the state cannot outlaw, and that that has been solid through all of the the cases that have come before the court so far. Even though they've ruled that you know um, that the federal government doesn't have to pay for Medicaid funding, they 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 
ruled in many other ways to restrict access. They've always held that the viability standard was um, was what the court held. The Mississippi law says that you can outlaw abortion after 15 weeks, which means this is the time they the only they cannot hang on to the viability standard and approve the Mississippi law at the same time. You cannot hold both of those. You cannot. Roe cannot stand. If you were going to say that that any pregnancy that's pre-viability is is murder or is illegal, and that's what the court is being asked to do, and then on top of that, you have the Texas law, which says six weeks, and then you have the Arkansas law that says completely illegal. So, no matter how you strike this, no matter how you if you look at this, um, states. When they rule on that Mississippi case, states are going to have the ability to outlaw abortion, abortion pre-viability. That's what I mean by Roe is gone. I see what you're saying. And uh, yeah. it's as though it had never existed uh, yeah, in terms exactly. of the practical matter yeah. of whether uh, a woman can get uh, an abortion. Uh, you mentioned right. that. And, and by the way, it does not look. And to your point about the justices, it all comes down to the Supreme Court and these matters. And uh, the uh, the MAGA has three new justices, Kavanaugh, Barrett and Gorsuch, uh, and they will join forces to command the court. Uh, and just something for Democrats to think of. Yeah, there's one more a six-three majority. It's a six. You know, people are talking. About, well, maybe John Roberts will try to preserve the integrity of the court. They don't need John Roberts. Yeah. They, he's the sixth vote. They have five solid votes to do this without Roberts. Yeah. And uh, so, no, it's gone. It's gone. It is. There, there's just no. And this. And there's going to be successive cases that are going to, I mean, the, 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 this is the nail in the coffin, then, the, you know, to, to maybe um, badly stretch an analogy here, these other cases will put the coffin in the ground, and then the others will just pull the, you know, pull the dirt in, and then, you know, the gravestone needs to be replaced on the, on the, on the site, and you're done. I mean, this is, if they are going to strike down the pre-viability standard, Roe is gone. There's no way around it. You can't. In fact, I just read an article that said you cannot hold both of those concepts at the same time. You can't rule that that the Mississippi law is legal and to say that Roe is still standing. It just doesn't. You can't do it. There's and no way around this it. Decision be uh, a, uh, it's, a no. well. The, 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 they're hearing the the case this fall, and uh, and then the decision will come down. Uh, that the term technically ends by June 30th, but you know they. They do all the big cases in the last few days. So I would say sometime in the last week of June of 2022. All right. So let's just put that, uh, think about that in terms of the congressional map, in terms of the uh, election maps. And uh, I'll get back to the Texas law in a little bit. But since we're here, let's just uh, finish this up, uh, Terry. Sure. Uh, so let's say the Supreme Court, the Supremes uh, rule uh, that the Mississippi law is, in fact, constitutional, which is really blowing up Roe. Uh, that will come down, let's say, in uh, late May or June. And uh, that will be three months to three months or four months before the country goes to vote to see who controls Congress and who controls the Senate, the midterm elections. What impact do you right. think that will have on those elections? Well, I think it will have a, a big impact on it. I think that uh, – 
that there will be a lot of talk, uh, a lot of discussion leading up to the decision. And I think it will have a big impact. I think that um, that not just women, but anyone with a decent sense of conscience will uh, will be alarmed and outraged. And um, and I think it will cause um, a lot of pro-choice people. And a lot of people in the middle who are in the middle of the road to uh, to vote against these right wing Republicans who are bringing all all of these uh, all of these changes, horrible changes. And and I got into this a little bit with uh, Jen Walling, who was our guest before you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we were talking about in terms of the environment uh, and it really it, the same principle is at play uh, with choice. Uh, Terry, let me just follow me on my logic here. Sure. Uh, the Republicans uh, have been brilliant. I give them credit, cunning, maybe not brilliant, cunning, clever uh, at how they, with the combination of gerrymandering uh, and they and uh, uh, manipulating uh, their base, uh, they have essentially become a party uh, against choice. I can, in the state of right. Illinois, you, you and I have talked about this many times. I don't believe there's any legislator right now, Republican legislator in the House or in the Senate, who's pro-choice. Uh, I think that's true. Correct me if I'm wrong. That is, that is true, Ben. You know, I hate to say you're 100% right always, but on this one, <laughs> you've got it. No, it is. And it's, it's not only, I mean, not only do we not have a single Republican, they're not sitting there doing nothing. They filed 22 bills. There are 22 anti-choice bills sitting in the Illinois General Assembly right now that if they should get control, in other words, if if they win, the, you know, and it, there there have been times in the not too recent past when Republicans have controlled the governor's office, the Senate, the House. So they're just waiting for one good election for them, and then they can overturn House Bill 40. Um, the Reproductive Health Act that we passed two years ago, as well as undo um, a whole bunch of other things, you know, including around the environment, uh, racial justice, uh, labor, labor rights, everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's all tied so, together. So uh, yeah. so what I asked Jen, I said when she was talking about climate change, I said I have a hard time believing that the uh, majority of the people in this country, of voters in this country, agree with the Republican position that climate change is a hoax and there's no need to have any legislation whatsoever uh, to combat it. So let's move this uh, discussion to abortion rights. I have a very hard time believing, uh, Terry Cosgrove, that a majority of people in this country believe or are in line with the Republicans uh, in in their effort to outlaw abortion in this guy, I just have a hard time believing that fifty over fifty percent of the voting population uh, is in line with that. And furthermore, if fi- over fifty percent of the population is in line with your absolutely correct, the movement to outlaw birth control. So right, right. I well, have to believe that this is is this is if this is an issue that is at the top of the plate, so to speak. In November of 2022, because of those Supreme Court rulings, I have to believe that unless the Democrats are complete idiots, which you always have to take that into possibility, Terry Cosgrove, I, they you, will be. You're going to find very little winning. argument. Say that again. Yeah, I, I said you'd find very little argument for me on that. So, okay. <laughs> uh, the, my beloved Democratic Party could turn a sure victory into defeat in a megasecond and someday i'll i'll uh tape one of our pre-show conversations 
<laughs> with Terry Cosgrove, folks. Those would really After I retire, ads. please. No, no. <laughs> well, no, right, no. I so, listen. I'm, I'm willing. Listen. I'm willing to say, you know, Republicans give every give their base everything they ask for, and uh, Democrats are not so attentive. So, how's that? Does that does that satisfy that's you? Pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, that's okay. pretty, not as good as what you said in the pre-show, but it's pretty good. I know, right. I know. Uh, it gets the point. Uh, but, yeah. man. Uh, no, but, no. But, I, listen, to your point, let me, let me uh, overwhelming go. 77% of Americans believe that abortion should be a private decision between a woman or a doctor, and the overwhelming majority do not want to see Roe overturned. So you were correct about that. But I want to add one more point. We did, I've done two statewide polls on abortion, uh, professional mm-hmm. polls. And not only are over 80% of young people um, independents and Democrats in favor of legal abortion, 54% of Republicans believe that it should be a private decision between a, a woman or a doctor. This is an over the, the, the idea that a woman should be able to decide where, when, and under what circumstances she will become pregnant and carry a pregnancy is supported across all of every single political, racial, gender uh, line that you can possibly come up with. Catholics have abortions at a higher rate than any other religious group. I mean, Catholics are pro-choice. So you are right. You are right. And that's what's so frustrating because the, uh, because the, um, um, you know, Democrats just have not been as active uh, on this issue and on, on talking about the issue and how fundamental it is to liberty and democracy and everything and, you know, everything else, whereas Republicans have been able to rally their base around it a bit more. So we need to change that equation. And, and, and I think that uh, when, when you view this in terms of the larger legislative map, it could be the driving force that enables Democrats to hold the House and, and the Senate. Do you agree with me on that? I do agree with you on that, especially if the, uh, if the, if the crazy positions of these right-wing Republicans are exposed to the public uh, before the election. And there's certainly enough statements, uh, you know, by people saying that they believe abortion should be legal and outlawed with no exceptions for rape and incest. Um, so we'll, if, if, it'll be up to Democrats to smoke these people out in terms of their positions on the issues, which we do very well, I have to say, in the state of Illinois. I'll take a little credit for that. Um, that, uh, you know, we go, uh, we go after them and, you know, so many times uh, Democrats have taken the bunker mentality when it's come um, to the issue of abortion. And, you know, so many times I'll talk to candidates and they'll say, well, you know, Terry, it's really not going to come up in my campaign. You know, I, I'm just going to, you know, <laughs> I'm just going to like fly under the radar. And then, you know, a month or three weeks out from the election, they start getting hammered uh, by an anti-choice group or a right-wing Republican, and they're calling me all freaked out. Now, had they allowed, <laughs> had they allowed me to set the stage immediately and do a piece of mail and phone calls saying that the Republicans against abortion, even in cases rape and incest, it wants to take away your ability to uh, to have access to birth control. The Republican would never want to bring up the abortion issue because they would be scared to death that people would find out where they really stand. 
Uh, but then it's too late, three weeks out, all of a sudden they're freaked out. I mean, they, they, it, you, you need to lay the groundwork and define uh, these people, these right-wingers, uh, before they have a chance to define themselves and define you as a candidate. Mm-hmm. But that's uh, just way, a little you, political you advice. That- uh, you mentioned that a majority of Catholics, according to polls, have seen uh, a favor abortion. Uh, and I just want to point out, pretty much as we always do when we head in this, this territory, Terry Cosgrove, uh, born a Catholic. Uh, since the last time we were on the show, T, uh, some really conservative members of the Catholic Church have essentially said that President Biden should be uh, effectively kicked out of the Catholic Church because of his uh, pro-choice stand. How... How do you think that attitude plays, that hostility to uh, any Catholic politician who does not toe a certain line? How do you think that stands with the public? Well, I know. I mean, I just know a lot. I mean, first of all, this is just piled on top of the other, um, you know, the other outrages that are going on among the church, the child sexual abuse scandal to be one. So it amazes me that anyone thinks that the hierarchy of the Catholic Church, and I think we have to separate the hierarchy of the Catholic Church from from uh, from people who who are practicing Catholics. Because practicing Catholics, I mean, I, I just, you know, they get up there and they talk, you know, how they're opposed to birth control, people roll their eyes and, and you know, and how they're, you know, against gay marriage and how they're anti-choice and against birth control, you know, the whole list. But I just... It's hard to believe that anyone gives them more authority. And, you know, everything that I've seen is that young people are fleeing the Catholic Church in droves. They don't want to have anything to do with it because of their draconian attitudes and positions on stuff like this. So I actually think they're they're just digging a deeper hole uh, by taking positions like that. And it exposes them. I do want to point out that it's not just Joe Biden. I mean, the Catholic bishops in Illinois have been attacking Catholic elected officials in Illinois for decades. So this yeah. isn't anything that, and I hear about it all the time. And, you know, every election, I, I don't want to name any specific state representatives or senators that told me that, you know, they can't go to their church anymore because of this. And, and you know, and good for them because everyone that I talk to, and, you know, it's probably not, just says that, you know, it just it pushes them more in our corner. That's all it does. It just makes them realize um, how unfortunate and how ridiculous uh, the church is around this issue. But they're just so out of step with and You know, it's not that, you know, what what what's what's so annoying about this and alarming is it's not that abortion wasn't taking place before Roe or before the abortion pill came along or birth control came along in the 60s. Women were getting abortions from the beginning of time. And the only issue is how safe and accessible is it going to be? And for people to understand there is incredible value in the concept that families and women should be able to time, space, and plan their pregnancies. We know that the outcomes in terms of life expectancy, um, reducing uh, the level of poverty, um, people attaining higher education, more economic security are absolutely tied to this issue. And so I think that's what people are getting to, that they understand that that denying families and women the, these choices really has an impact on health care across the board and so many other areas. 
All right, let's move on to Texas. Uh, I've been waiting to have this conversation with you for a while. Uh, Jason Lee uh, comes on the show all the time, political strategist, to talk about uh, the laws in Texas that are intended to make it more difficult or challenging uh, for Democrats to vote. Uh, Obviously, the Republicans in Texas are looking at the demographic changes with a little concern at the fear that uh, the state actually may go blue one day. So they're doing everything they can to deter right. Democrats for voting. And um, that's been a battle in Texas. Not as much attention has been uh, put on the uh, anti-abortion laws uh, that Texas has passed, which effectively deputize citizens uh, and encourage them to act as what? Uh, agents of the law to... Uh, yeah, crime. they're able... Yeah. They're able to file lawsuits against uh, anyone that they say is involved with abortion, um, which could be the Uber driver, which could be the doctor, which could be, you know, a, a, a friend or a family member that goes with with a woman. So um, they're basically have deputized all these right wing crazies to, you know, to 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 be involved in everyone's business and to harass uh, and to harass to harass people and it can be just sufficient there doesn't really have to be proof to file a lawsuit you know you could um you could hear someone over say at a bar that they they took their sister to get an abortion let's say well then all of a sudden that person could have a lawsuit and could you know be be charged with a crime because they <laughs> they overheard someone in a bar say that yeah. and so it's just it's it's really i mean but i know people say it's hard to understand the the anti-choice people will do and say and and will do anything to stop a woman from exercising her right to control their own body. They know no bounds. They know no limits. They have murdered doctors in cold blood. They demonstrate outside of medical facilities where reproductive health care is taking place, where abortion care is happening. They harass, they intimidate, they murder, they pass. Uh, laws like the Texas law, the Arkansas law, and it's not going to end until uh, until the enough voters come out and, and and kick these people out of office and and replace them with with sane people who believe in democracy and believe in the in the right to privacy. I mean, there, yeah. there's no end to it. There's no and you know for years I've been telling elected officials, say, oh, Terry. Can't I just vote for this one uh, for this one restriction, this one thing? And I say, yeah, you can't. Except the problem is, there's going to be a new one next week, and a new one after that. And so you have. So where are you drawing the line? And then because there is no line to be drawn, because they're, they're never going to give up. They are never going to stop until they have exercised every single bit of control over the lives of the private lives of women, and also. You know, I have to say that you know Roe is the foundation for so many of the of the privacy rights that have come about as a as a result of that, including um, marriage equality and civil unions and all of that. So, so if people think once the court is done with with dispensing, making reproductive health care illegal, they're going after LGBTQ rights next, and as they are, you know, with uh, with transgender people. So. I mean, it's not over. I mean, it's the the end of 
access to abortion care is really just the beginning of all these battles that are coming around birth control and everything else. Do you, you really think Amy Coney Barrett and, and Kavanaugh are going to sit there and say, well, job is done. You know, we can just <laughs> you know, coast along here. No, no, they, they've got a whole agenda. It's, it's, it's ridiculous to think that, that, that they're just going to, you know, pack their bags and go home and say, okay, abortion is illegal. Now we've done our job and, you know, we've arrested everyone that's been involved with it and, <laughs> and we've tortured every woman we can possibly torture and forced her into a back alley or, or, um, help create all these unintended pregnancies and all this misery. You know, we're done now. No, it's not going to happen. Yeah, no. And, uh, all right. I'm not going to start crying over, uh, the Amy Coney Barrett, uh, appointment, but man, I am going to cry over it. That was, you know, T that was, we talked about it so much at the time. Yeah. Uh, just such deceitful politics by the Republicans, but it worked to their yeah. advantage. Right, I, right. And, you know, she's come out, she has public statements calling birth control disgusting and evil. I mean, <laughs> and she's probably going to author the, the, the Mississippi opinion. I would, uh, she's probably um, begging John Roberts to let her author it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was, uh, of course, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat. Uh, right. All right. And uh, let's uh, leave Texas for the moment and come uh, to uh, sweet home, Illinois. Yeah. Uh, your home yeah. state. Uh, sort of give us an update, if you will, T, on uh, what's going on on, on the, the abortion front here in the state of Illinois. It's kind of quiet right now in the state of Illinois. Uh, what's well, your, yeah, what's your, we have uh, – well, you know, we have, uh, you know, we have all 177 legislative seats, 59 Senate seats, 118 House seats that are going to be on the ballot in November 2022 under completely redrawn districts. So, so that, that's one of the things going on. Um, the, the second thing is, is that we have, you know, the congressional, I mean, personal PAC is a, is a state political action committee, so we don't get in, involved with. Uh, congressional seats, but it's not a secret that all the uh, congressional seats will be redrawn. We lose one, and uh, and so that's going on. And then uh, and you know, listen, why we're on the congressional? I mean, I I really appreciate that Adam Kinzinger cried at the hearing yesterday, uh, but people need to know that he is a total right winger when it comes to when it comes to social issues, when it comes to abortion, he wants to see it illegal. And so does Liz Cheney, by the way, um, not to take away from them standing up for what they're doing. I don't mean to do that, but I just think it's really important if, if people are starting to, to uh, fall in love with them, to remember where they really come from and what they're about. So, and then we have the governor's race and every Republican that's announced so far is, you know, is a, is a Trump supporter and it's as right wing as you can get. So we absolutely have to make sure that J.B. Pritzker is reelected. Uh, he's been um, the most pro-choice governor we've had in Illinois, signing so many pro-choice bills and really standing up to the right wingers on many issues. And uh, and then we have the constitutional offices, the most important being the attorney general. So Kwame Raul's reelection is really important, as well as all the other um, office, uh, other constitutional offices that are up, and then there will be uh, races for the Illinois Supreme Court. So yeah. it is the most important election of the last 50 years, I have to say, given what's going on in the U.S. Supreme Court. 
given what's going on in all the states around not just reproductive rights, but voting rights, um, Illinois is one of the safest states to cast a ballot in as a result of the new uh, voting rights legislation that the General Assembly passed and Governor Pritzker signed uh, in the last few months. Uh, so we have to make we have to, we have to hold the line here, and we do have an opportunity to pick up some more um, House and uh, Senate seats in the 2022 election to solidify uh, what is coming in the future. Well, we'll get into that uh, as we get closer to uh, to uh, right. election day. But I, I have to say the vibe is so much different, uh, Terry, uh, this time around than it was, let's say, four years ago uh, when we were coming, uh, heading down the pike to toward the showdown between Pritzker and Rauner. I uh, just think back to where we were in ju- the summer of 2017 and the, the sense of urgency that so many Democrats had about the need to um, – rid this state of Bruce Rauner and leading the pack was a certain Terry Cosgrove. Uh, We don't need to uh, go through that history again. Uh, But my concern is, is that without that sense of urgency, uh, which is motivated by the dread, the presence of the dreaded Bruce Rauner on the ballot, Democrats do what they do, fall back asleep. I know. I know. Yeah, it is concerning. It really is. And that's why people really have to pay attention. And we have to, it has to be, an all out effort because, you know, people fell asleep at the wheel in 2016. And I know you don't want me to go there and I won't, but we're, we're living, we're, we're living with the results of it right now. So, uh, so by the way, anyone that didn't pay attention. And- I love talking 2016. I can talk about <laughs> it over and over. Okay. Uh, well, the 80, the 87,000 Democrats that stayed home or voted for someone else other than the Democratic nominee. I hope you're happy with the results because here we are. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Let's uh, let's revive that one. Here now. we are. Yeah, here we-, here we are. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, and I'm not going to ask Terry about the, the Nina Turner congressional race in Ohio. We'll move on. We'll, uh, we'll close uh, with a, uh, you could tell folks a little bit about your Octo- October 20th uh, fundraiser. It's way out in front, but you're very proud of who your keynote speaker is. Yeah. Yeah. Our, um, in fact, if you, if anyone listening wants to go to the events page on the personal path website, not only do, do we have our October uh, 20th luncheon, featuring the one and only U.S. Senator and Pastor from Georgia, Raphael Warnock. We're also honoring uh, former Senator Heather Staines, Barbara Flynn Curry, former state representative, and Kelly Fox, who is a community activist and uh, is working very closely on reproductive rights issues in Springfield and uh, happens to be married to State's Attorney Kim Fox, but that's just an aside. Um, And then we have three great events coming up in August that are all on the event page. We have an event in Naperville on August 12th with Marie Newman, Congressperson uh, Marie Newman and State Senator Laura Elman. And then we're in Evanston on the 25th of August with Tony Preckwinkle, Jan Joukowsky, and Allison Cowett. And then the following night, we're in Highland Park uh, for for a house party with uh, guest speaker Andy Friedman, who's on the personal path board and a national organizer around reproductive rights, and Dr. Allison Cowett, who um, is a doctor who provides abortion care. Uh, all great speakers, great events, and, uh, and people can support our work that way. 
Uh, and these house parties are really nice because they're, you know, they're not 1,500 people in a room, 30, 40 people at the most. And you really, it really get up and close with people and get to ask all your questions of, of people about what's going on and, and support the work of personal paths. So, so what could be better than that, Ben? Yeah, what could be? And I presume everybody at a house party is uh, immunized. They have the shot. Yes, um, absolutely. Vaccinations are required. Um, thank you, Danny Meyer. I just was going to post that on Facebook before you called about um, the restaurants in New York that are requiring people to be fully vaccinated. But I know that's another topic for another show. But uh, another topic for another show, uh, indeed. All right, Terry Cosgrove from Personal Pact. Again, just like with Jen Walling, it's been too long since you've been on the show. I'm going to have to be uh, uh, more reliable about bringing you back on to give us these updates are really important. We missed the Texas law one. I could have done a whole show about the tech deputizing people uh, to go. It's just so T, it's so against everything Republicans supposedly. They supposedly want to unclog the the courts from trivial lawsuits. We talk about this all the time. Uh, And uh, here they are encouraging people to file lawsuits. It it proves what I always say. There's not a principle uh, that Republicans believe in. It's all tactics. No, no. Well, and the hypocrisy is just endless. I mean, you could talk all day about, you know, the you know, what gets me about this whole COVID. We we actually had a right wing state representative stand up in Springfield on the House floor about about wearing a mask. My body, my choice, he said. Honestly, <laughs> I saw. <that. laughs> and, and, and it was really great because because some of the women in the House are like, "Are you kidding me?" here he's a leader on trying to outlaw abortion and birth control and he's going my body my choice when it comes to a mask i mean it was just too much but it just goes to show you they you're right they have no principles they um their consistency does not uh, does not enter into their uh, vocabulary uh it doesn't really need anything Uh, yeah so well, all right. I very look forward good, to the next show. Okay. Okay. All right. Very good. The great Terry Cosgrove from Personal Pack. I also want to thank Jen Walling. Great job, Illinois Environmental Council. I think it was a very uh, smart and learned show today. I learned a lot from my guests. So I want to thank Terry uh, and Jen for coming on. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois. The man back home in Alton that Terry and Jen will tell you they call the peach picker. Yes, he loves those peaches. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Mm-hmm.